Most people know me as the Apostle Paul, but you can just call me Paul. My old rabbis knew me as Saul, and to be honest, that is not a name that I'm very proud of. Sure, I was both a Roman citizen and a Jewish leader. I grew up in Jerusalem. I read the Torah every single day, and I'll be honest, I was one of the best in my class. I don't regret like who I am or how I was raised, but what I regret the most is what I believed and what it led me to do. I thought these Christians were blaspheming against the God Yahweh. I thought that they were proclaiming that this Jesus to be the Messiah, that he had resurrected the dead. Like I heard them say these things and I knew that they were cursing against my God. Like that can't be true. You have to understand as a good Jewish leader, I couldn't just stand by and let this go by. You'll get that, right? So I hunted them down. I knocked on their doors. I tracked down their friends. I followed their crowds and I threw them in prison. Some of them I killed. When I interrogated these Christians, they had the audacity to claim that this Jesus had told them that they were going to be God's witnesses to the world. They claimed that this Jesus movement was going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the world. They weren't wrong. Jerusalem was being turned upside down every single day. On some days, thousands were choosing to repent of their sins, to believe in this Jesus, and were baptized throughout the city. It was crazy. It was wild to be in the city. The followers of Jesus were meeting every single day for prayer, for worship, and for fellowship. They were selling their possessions, their own houses, their own stuff, and giving away the money to the poor, anyone who had need. They were performing what they called to be miracles. Literally, there was a man who had been crippled for over 40 years, and on one day in the temple, this guy Peter walked by, and I'm not kidding, the guy was leaping and standing and praising God because he'd been healed. All I'm saying is that Jerusalem was starting to look very different from the city that I'd grown up in. As I continued to oppress these Christians, they only grew bolder in their faith. One man by the name of Stephen, it's a day I wish I could get back. One man whose name was Stephen stood up in front of the high priest and preached about how Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, David, and Solomon all testified of this Jesus, this coming Messiah. He even referred to 
all of us who are listening, me included, as stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, and always resisting the Holy Spirit. I was not going to allow this common man to speak to us that kind of way. No way. I, Saul, ordered that they drag this man out of the city and stone him. And that's exactly what they did. They picked up the biggest stones they could and they threw them and they killed Stephen right then and there. I ordered that. I thought I was putting an end to Stephen's life, but even more so, I thought I was putting an end to this whole Jesus thing. I could not have been more wrong if I thought I could have. You see, for the first time, these followers of Jesus began to leave Jerusalem for the regions all throughout Judea and Samaria. In each and every city, these Christians were preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest, more and more of these people kept getting saved. They kept following Jesus. What began in Jerusalem had spread to the surrounding regions, and I was not going to stand by and allow it to continue to happen. So I set out from Jerusalem with letters from the high priest, going all the way to Damascus, where I was going to find these Christians, put them in chains, put them in prison, or if I had to, kill them myself. I'll never forget the day when I was traveling on that road to Damascus. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. There was a bright light shined so bright that I couldn't see a thing. I did what any one of you would have done. I fell on my face, terrified about what was going to come next. I had no idea. As I'm on the ground, I can't see a thing. I hear a voice speak out and it says, or should I say he says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? I responded, who are you, Lord? And the voice responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise up and go into the city where you will find out what you are to do. I was shocked, I was confused, and to be honest, I was desperate. My friends that were with me helped me get my standing again, rise back up to my feet. The only problem was I still could not see. I was blind. And for the next three days, I couldn't see. These guys were leading me all the way to the city. Eventually, we get to Damascus. I find a stranger's home, and the first thing I do is I get down on my face, and I start praying to God Almighty because I am in desperate need for his help. Isn't that crazy? The guy who was murdering and killing Christians is now all of a sudden in need of the help of a Christian. And that's exactly who walks in the door, a man named Ananias. Ananias had to be terrified to see me that day. He'd known what I've done. He knew about the people I'd thrown in prison. He probably had friends that he knew that I had killed or thrown inside of a prison cell that same year. but he reached down to help me out. Ananias told me that Jesus had told him 
Go see Saul, for he, Saul, is going to be a chosen instrument for me to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the kings of the earth, and to the people of Israel. Me? Saul? Going to take the, this news of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the kings of the earth, and to the people of Israel? I'm a chosen instrument from God? I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea what God was going to do with the rest of my life. I do not know what that was going to look like. I had no idea. But what I did know is this, is that that very day, I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I regained my sight to see again. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was baptized that very day in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And my life has never been the same. Three days later, I was already in the Jewish synagogue and I was preaching boldly the name of Jesus. <laughs> I was fired up. I couldn't help but talk about what I'd seen and heard, man. Like I, I had experienced Jesus and I had to tell people about it. For the first time, everything I'd learned in the scriptures made sense when I learned about who Jesus really was. People could not believe it. I'm sure they were murmuring, is that Saul? The guy who was killing Christians is now standing up proclaiming Jesus Christ. From that point on, I no longer went by the name of Saul, but I went by a new name. People call me Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. I'd spent a few years learning from both the scriptures and the disciples. One of them, his name was Barnabas. Barnabas is a dear friend of mine, and he taught me and discipled me and mentored me in the faith. Then the unthinkable happened. The church in Antioch sent Barnabas and I on our very first missionary journey. Have you ever been outside of your own nation? You ever been outside of your nation before? It's pretty crazy. I traveled all over. My first missionary journey, we went all across Asia Minor, sharing the gospel with anyone who would let us. We preached loud and clear. We did not hold back. We were bold, and most of all, we were full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. It was a good time to be a follower of Jesus. We were loving it. Many in each and every city believed in this Jesus in the gospel, in the truth that we were proclaiming in every single city. It was so cool. For most of them, can I be honest with you? For the most of them, I would stand up in front of crowds like you today, and I would tell them the gospel, and I'm serious. Many of them, for the very first time, this was their first time to ever hear who Jesus was, what he had done, and that there was real hope in this world. You should have seen the joy on their faces when they heard the good news of the gospel. There were thousands who were believing in every single city. They were being changed by the good news of Jesus. But I'm going to be honest, there were still few that were just like me back in my old ways who resented the good news of the gospel. What they did was is they pushed us out of the city and ordered us never to return. In other cities, the Jews from Antioch had traveled all the way to the city of Iconium where they stirred up a crowd to persecute me for preaching Jesus. They were so mad, they visited the city that I was in to 
punish me, to push me out for preaching the gospel. Just like the day when Stephen was stoned, they picked up their very own stones and they threw them at me. After they had stoned me over and over again, they assumed that I was dead, they took my body, and they drug me outside of the city and left me for the birds. But I stood right up, and I went to the next city, and I preached the gospel to the next place the next day. I did not care. I was about sharing Jesus. I didn't care what they threw at me. If it was a stone, if it was a threat, I did not care. I was going to boldly preach Jesus no matter what. Our first missionary journey ended with us returning to our hometown of Jerusalem. (laughs) The city was alive. It was so fun. And it was so good to see my friends and old family. It was also great to share about what God was doing among all the Gentiles, the different nations around. Despite the great news, though, there was a disagreement between me and the Messianic Jews in Jerusalem. You see, the Jews there, although they were Christians, listen, don't miss this. This is huge, man. The Jews there, although they were Christians, they thought that these Gentiles, these non-Jewish Christians, they thought that because they weren't necessarily Jewish, that in order for them to really be Christians, they had to do all the things that the Jews were doing. They had to, uh, man, keep the Sabbath, They had to be circumcised. They had to follow the law entirely. They couldn't eat any pork. They had to do all the things we see in the Old Testament. If they did not do those things, they said their faith wasn't real. And what I argued was, was that salvation through Jesus is not by works of man, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ and by repenting of our sins. That's the only way to be saved. There's not by me doing something. What they were arguing for was entirely unbiblical. And after much debate and after searching through the scriptures, we finally came to an agreement that salvation is not by being a Jew, acting like a Jew, living like a Jew, but it's simply by this, placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. This was huge for the church because it would change the entire strategy that the early church would have for sending people all over the world to share the good news of the gospel. This is why, right after this moment, I took my second missionary journey. We went to Asia Minor and to Greece this time. I took with me Silas, and we picked up Timothy along the way. We traveled all over, going from city to city, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We went to Derby, to Lystra, to Phrygia, to Galatia, to Macedonia, and more. In Philippi, we planted a church. There was this amazing lady. Her name was Lydia. She was incredible. And we also used the church plan to be led by also a guy who used to be a jailer. It's really a funny story here because Paul and Silas and I were walking through the marketplace one day, preaching the gospel, performing miracles, and they were in an uproar because we were doing this. They took us into the marketplace, they stripped off our clothes, they beat us with rods, and they threw us into prison, thinking that's going to shut them up. But I'm going to be honest, at midnight, we were still in our jail cell, handcuffed, not able to go anywhere else. We were singing hymns to God and praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the middle of that, God did a miracle. In the middle of the jail cell, God did a miracle. 
He sent an earthquake to that part of the town that shook that county jail like they've never experienced before. It broke every chain. It broke open every door. And we were finally free. The jailer was so amazed at this that he smuggled us out in the middle of the night. We went to his house where he sat us down. He took his bandages and he bandaged up our wounds. And we had the chance to share the gospel because the jailer looked us up and down and said, what must I do to be saved? He couldn't believe what had happened. That jailer took us to his home. We shared the gospel. Him and his entire household all got saved and baptized that very night. How cool is that, right? Super cool. We were pumped. We continued to travel all over doing ministry. Finally, after we went to the spot of Philippi, we went to Thessalonica, to Athens, to Corinth, to Ephesus, and then back to Antioch. Then I took my third and my final missionary journey. I won't bore you with naming all the locations. I know you've heard me say a bunch already. I don't want to keep boring you with that, but I will tell you this. In every city, in every synagogue, I would enter in and I would share the truth with them every single time. I preached the gospel boldly and broadly. I did this both publicly before many people like I'm doing today and privately in your homes as well. I was willing to live differently no matter the cost because I consider my life worth nothing to me. I really do. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus gave me, the task of testifying to be a witness of the gospel of God's grace. That's what I'm all about. I remember after talking with those there in Miletus, the city of Miletus, some of the church leaders, I remember being with them side by side, telling them this and encouraging them. And I remember I was about to leave and never see them probably ever again until I get to the other side of eternity. I put my arm around them and gave them a big hug, didn't want to let go. I put my head on their shoulder, was weeping and crying, knowing that these people that I love so dearly and done ministry with I will never see them again because there are more people I need to go to to take the gospel to. So I got on a ship and I left once again from Miletus all the way down to Jerusalem, my hometown, once again. People told me, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, they're gonna throw you in prison. They're gonna hurt you. They're gonna persecute you if you go to Jerusalem. But what they didn't understand is when I was praying and seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit told me, I have to go to Jerusalem. What am I supposed to do, obey man or obey God? I'm gonna do what the Lord calls me to do. I've trusted him up to this point, right? Why can't I trust him with my life going to Jerusalem as well? So that's what I did. I went into Jerusalem during the day of Pentecost. I walked into the synagogue and guess what? <laughs> First day I walked into Jerusalem, I started preaching the gospel. Just as they did to Jesus, they wanted to flog me. They were so mad at me for preaching in the synagogue this message about Jesus that they wanted to flog me. If you don't know what flog means, it's where they take you, they take off your shirt on the back and they take a whip 
And that whip at the end of it has all these sharp objects like glass, uh, sharp rocks, thorns. And they take it and they whip it across the back of an individual, hoping that when they pull it off, it will take off pieces of your back as well. It was a gruesome thing. And they were ready. They had me in cuffs. They had me, the, the people were in spot to make this happen. And that's exactly when the Lord is so good. I'm telling you, he works things out in such a good way. The Lord, fortunately, revealed to them that I am a Roman citizen. I told you that at the beginning. I'm a Roman citizen. And under Roman law, you cannot flog a Roman citizen without first being given a fair trial. So because of that, the Sanhedrin, which was the political party in Jerusalem, they took me and they handed me over to Governor Felix. Governor Felix had me stand trial like I am before you guys today. I was in handcuffs before a ton of rich people, fancy people, political leaders, and they had me stand on trial for crimes that they thought I'd committed, but there was no crime. I was just preaching Jesus. It's not a crime to put my hope in Jesus. Governor Felix couldn't do anything about it. He had no case against me. So he hands me over to the next guy in charge, Governor Festus. I went to Governor Festus and Governor Festus has me stand trial and he thinks that I'm out of my mind, but he doesn't have a case against me. So he has no other choice. He takes me before King Agrippa and King Agrippa is a big deal. But after looking at me up and down and hearing my story, King Agrippa could not have a charge stick against me. I sure had hoped that each one of these leaders would have opened their heart, opened their ears to receive the good news of the gospel and be saved. Man, I wish so bad that Governor Festus, Governor Felix, King Agrippa would have surrendered their hearts to Jesus. I don't know where they're at today, but I know this. No matter the cost, I'm gonna preach the gospel boldly. Anyone and everyone who allow me to, I'm going to share Jesus. The Roman government would not simply allow me to go free, both because their laws and because they were nervous for my safety, so they did what only they could do. They put me on a boat with 275 other people, and they sent me on a journey all the way from Jerusalem, all the way up to Rome. This normally is about a 30-day journey on the Roman trade routes, but whew, this one was a doozy. We were in the middle of a very dangerous storm that almost took our life. We were shipwrecked on an island. We met a tribal group there. I was bit by a viper that should have killed me, but the Lord protected me. And guess what? All 276 of us made it to Rome because God was with us. And I'll be honest, every one of those people in that boat knew that my Jesus was the real deal. So, here I am today. You're standing right outside of my house because I'm under house arrest until I await my trial before Caesar. I, every single day, get to do exactly this. People show up at my house, crowds show up, and I get to preach Jesus boldly without any hindrance. I am living it up as a Christian. 
And you might think that being stuck in a jail cell in my own home has prevented me from able to do what God's called me to do. But guess what? I have some good news for you guys. I get to not just preach the gospel every day boldly and proudly, but I've also had taken advantage of that time to write to the other Christians all around the world. I've written tons of letters. I've written to Timothy, my friend, man, my dear brother I did ministry with. I wrote to Titus. I let him know about what to do with the Lord. I wrote to Timothy as well, again, about being a leader in the church and leading with other church members. I wrote to Philemon. It's a short letter, but it's a good one if you want to check it out. I have loved it. I wrote to Philippi. You know, the jailer in Lydia where they were at whenever I told you about where I got thrown in prison, I write to them. I'm still writing letters to Colossae, to Ephesus, and the list goes on. The Lord has been so good to me in this season of getting to write and to encourage the future church that raised up. I tell you that because here's the deal. I have no idea, no idea what my life looks like in the days ahead or how many more days I have left on this earth. But I tell each and every one of you, please imitate me as I imitate Christ. Will you live on mission? Will you obey the command that God has given the church that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you will be his witnesses, his chosen instrument to take the gospel before the Gentiles, before the Israelites, before the kings of the earth, because you've been faithful to simply walk in faith and obedience to the Lord your God. You know, or maybe you've heard in one of my letters to the Romans, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe without someone bringing them the good news of the gospel? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who bring, who share, this good news of the gospel. I challenge you before God and your brothers and sisters in this room tonight, will you imitate me as I've imitated Christ?